I know who I am. When we are finished with you, you will no longer be yourself. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Matt Goes to the Movies, rolling along with the Jason Bourne series. And today we're here to talk about The Bourne Supremacy, released in 2004 in the follow-up to the surprise hit, I think we were saying last time we talked about this, um, to The Bourne Identity, which really brought and made Matt Damon uh, an action star because before this, he was not known for that. But as we talked about in the previous episode, Rob and Harrison are back. So, Rob, welcome back. There was a, a couple things in this movie that, uh, specifically one actor um, that I forgot was in this, that when I saw him, I was like, wait a minute, I don't remember him being in here. And you probably know who I'm talking about, I think. Ooh. Um, is it Carl Urban? Yes, I had no clue he was in Nailed this it. movie at all. I, I was like, wait, what? I was like, wait, what is he doing here? Is he just is he in the beginning? He of the just kind of has a tendency on? to show up in movies and you kind of forget that he's in them because he looks like a completely different human in every movie he's ever been in. He's like the master of disguise. <laughs> Legitimately. But um, Harrison, welcome back to you as well. Uh the Jason Bourne series, I know you said that this holds uh, a, a pretty special place for you. So I, I know you're excited to, you know, get in on these reviews. But, you know, the Bourne supremacy we talked about with the Bourne identity being over 20 years old. Uh, this movie is getting close. It's two years away from that anniversary. And it's it's still kind of amazing to me that these movies are at least these first two are that old. Yeah, it's crazy to me. I had to. uh I didn't have HBO Max, so I had to go to my grandma's house and borrow them on DVD, uh, which was and like the the menu blasting the sound at me was like, yes, this is from the early 2000s <laughs> all the way. And like the widescreen in huge letters all over the DVD case. I knew I got the superior version. <laughs> Thanks, Grandma. Yeah. So, you know, th this is a series that. I remember the first two besides Carl, like I remember things about this movie besides like Carl Urban being a part of it. Um, but these are the first two that I probably remember the most out of the entire series. Um, so it was really interesting to go back and rewatch this one, just like it was the born identity. But we talked about how the character of Jason Bourne is like really relatable. And that's one of the things that we think make this movie um, specifically the first one so good. Cause we all liked it, you know, a, a great deal. And it just continues in this movie that even though he's this super smart, intelligent, capable guy, he's still very vulnerable. Um, and one of the things that hooked me right off the bat when this movie started, it's, you know, in that first act is, Marie dying. Um, it really sucked. Like watching this movie back, I felt really bad for him. Um, like I liked everything that led up to her death. I, I don't mean that like that. I liked her death, but just, you know, the car chase, how quickly he identified the fact that Carl Urban's character should not be there. Like in two seconds, he saw that car, like pull into a crowd. And he was like, ah, we're caught. Um, but Rob, I'll let you go first on this because this is one of the things we talked about. Their relationship felt real. And, you know, this is just this this girl, Marie, was just somebody who was 
looking back on it in the wrong place at the wrong time, so to speak, where she ran into Jason Bourne. But it really felt like they were, you know, together in this second movie. And I'll talk more specifically about one part I'm referring to that I really liked um, when she's killed by one of these assassins. But again, their relationship felt very real. And I felt really, really bad for her and for, for Jason Bourne's character um, when she died in the, the early yeah, parts it's, of this movie. Um, it's something you don't see coming because um, they're you know trying to figure out a way to get out of this. And if you've just got done, by the way, I, I really do recommend I've never really binged whole series back to back to back, you know, in at any point in my life, really, until, you know, we started doing it uh, both for the basement binge and for this show. Uh, I think there's really a benefit to doing that. I think there really is something that gets added to it when that last movie is so much fresher in your mind, because at the beginning of this film, I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm happy to see that they're still together. I'm happy to see that they were able to get everybody to agree to be in this movie again and, and they don't have to recast it or, or write somebody out of it. You know, I'm kind of thinking like the way Ted two wrote Mila Kunis out and it's just kind of, everybody could just tell there was a contract problem or something behind the scenes. Like, you know, we just talked transformers recently. Like it was very obvious that, you know, Megan Fox's comments off camera made that whole situation weird. And, they just wrote a new character in like, I really like that. We still got that same actress playing that same character. And I really loved that. It was a continuation of what we had just seen. You really expected that this badass Jason Bourne was going to find a way to get them out of there and was going to, to continue to save the day. So the way that that whole scene is shot and edited, you know, they're, they're starting to get away. Things are coming together and boom, you know, she's shot. Like, and, and she's done. It's not like she has time to bleed out. It's not like she has time to have this moment with him. She's done and she's out. And right up to that point, the movie is still playing with those ideas from the previous film. Just this idea of memory loss and the kind of person we imagine ourselves to be. And Marie is starting to see that the man she loves is actually a better man than the man he forgot he used to be. And I found that to be such a compelling way to start this movie. And I'm like, oh, show me more of that. Oh, you killed her. Holy crap. I wasn't expecting that at all. Um, this whole low speed chase where they get stuck in traffic and stuck dealing with bikes is somehow weirdly tense for a low speed chase. Uh, did not see that coming at all. The the underwater scene where Bourne realizes, nah, man, she's gone. Um was heartbreaking was well shot well acted just a well put together moment that i think we don't always think we get in these in these kind of uh, of movies yeah harrison i just, i want to jump in with a thought and then i i want you to respond to that and say uh you know your feelings on that but i i think what rob you said about that that chase scene the the slow chase scene having tension to it it's added by the dialogue that's happening between the two of them as they're trying to figure out how to get away because she's sitting like, you know, she's questioning him, you know, what's going on. She's nervous, but he's telling her like, he's not supposed to be here, the car, everything. But there's also where you can start to see that dialogue. Um, and Harrison, I'll let you, you know, finish this topic on this, but when she, right before she gets shot, he does say like, I don't have a choice. 
And she just very subtly says, yes, you do. And then she's shot and she's dead. But like you can see the realization in Jason's face when she says, yes, you do have another choice that he's like actually thinking about that. Like, okay, maybe we could get away and just I don't have to do this anymore. But uh, that's taken away from him. But Harrison, what did you think about this opening? Um, You know, either way back when when you saw this or even now and you know, anything to what Rob said about watching these movies consecutively, because I do think it adds to it, especially the the emotions that we have for the characters, because it's so fresh what happened in the last movie. Yeah, I have something to say about all of that. Um, the first thing I'll say just about watching movies back to back, because Rob, I was going to mention that for you. It's something that you mentioned frequently about binging. But so I had a sick day today. I just woke up feeling horrible. So I didn't go into work. And uh, so I was like, I got some time to watch a movie. So I, I put in uh, the Born Supremacy, and it finished, and I was like, that was so good. I have time. Let's watch The Born Ultimatum, because I know that one's my favorite. I'm like, I have no problem watching it twice. So I, like, immediately put it in, and uh, that movie is totally different watching it that way in such quick succession after The uh, Born Supremacy, and so the whole time I was thinking, I gotta tell Rob that he's right. Binging movies changes the way you view them. Um, so, that aside, this movie was the one I remembered the least. Like, I don't really think I remembered anything about it, surprisingly. Like, I know for a fact I've seen it multiple times. I just can't remember much about it. And, like, most things I remember are either from the first one or the third for some reason. And um, so I was looking at some IMDb things when we were recording last episode that, that the actress for Marie was still here, but she wasn't in Ultimatum. And I was like, oh, I... I wonder if something happened with her contract where she couldn't be in the third. Like that was just like my immediate thoughts. And so to have her just gone so quick, like, Oh, it was nothing with contract or, you know, maybe it wasn't, I had a killer, but I don't think that was a motivation. Like this character is gone and born has changed now. And especially like it's different because of what, what Rob had mentioned that they, and, and also you Matt, that they show the way that he's different because of her. And how that makes him such a different person. Uh, how it makes him not Jason Bourne, if you will. And and to ha- just like take that away is just... And, and quickly, like w- when they landed in the water, I was like, oh, she's bleeding out. So he's going to save her from the car. Then they're going to get out of the water on the beach. And they're going to have like a last moment together. And they just did it. And, it. and it really kind of just like rips your heart out for the rest of the movie. That like this is the poor life that Jason Bourne is left in after having someone that had such a good impact on him. Um, I will say that, that I feel if I'm getting into it a lot, maybe it's just my personal sadness, but I feel like the rest of the film suffers from her loss. Uh, I really feel like the lack of that character chemistry took this film down a bit for me, uh, surprisingly, but that could just be my personal sadness at it. Um, but that moment, oh my gosh, is just, it's, it's solid filmmaking, from the editing and and the chase that leads up to it, it it's just it's tense. I'm so frustrated with myself because these movies I write like four lines of notes because I'm just so like tensely watching the movie that I can't even like look away to write a note. Uh, so yeah, great scene. To, to, I mean, like the start of the movie, holy smokes. Yeah, I think uh, the one thing that I wanted to to say too was I, I just I had the same thing that you did this movie got done and this might be a little bit of a spoiler towards the end and maybe what I'm gonna say about this movie in my rating 
but I wanted, I was like, that was so good. I just want to go into the Bourne Ultimatum. Now, I did not have time to do that. I had some other stuff going on, but like, I like this movie so much that I literally just wanted to just watch the third one right after it. Um, and as a little flash forward, I totally forgot that the ending scene of this movie is actually in the Bourne Ultimatum. Yeah. I, to- awesome. I totally, I like, I totally forgot that. I was like, wait a minute. I remember this scene. I, I totally forgot the movie ended like this. Yeah. And I think if you want to levy a small amount of criticism at this film, which we probably, I I'm getting the sense we're not going to be critiquing much of this. I think there's going to be a lot of celebration of this film. Um, there's a concept in, in fiction, um, you know, comics, TV, movies called fridging. And it's based on a, um, for those of you who don't, aren't familiar with the term, it's based on a scene from a, one of the Green Lantern comics where it's the general idea that, you know, the, the death of a, a love interest is what pro- propels the male protagonist forward on his quest for vengeance. And, it, and you see it often, you know, you can think of a lot of different um media examples where you know girlfriend wife whatever uh gets killed and and the male protagonist goes on just like this this body count inducing bender uh of just laying waste to all the bad guys and that and that's kind of his his crusade that ignites him to to just kind of wreak havoc is there a an element of that here maybe but i'll tell you that it's she's so innocent in this whole thing that I don't, I, I don't buy into that as, as being valid for this movie. I I see this as being totally like that makes sense that that would happen. And it makes sense that he would do exactly what he's going to do as a result of it. Um, I think this is something where if you want to make the case for that concept, sure. But it, you know, it just works so well. I mean, the, those moments you get that true sense of loss with him. Um, and it just, I believe every moment that he's going after these people to stop them and also stop them from coming after him and to try to find out even more about what's going on in his own life. I mean, some of those flashbacks at the beginning, I mean, his body count is way higher than maybe, what we thought it was at the end of the last movie um, trying to continue that. I love that. They're still playing with the idea of that, that amnesia is not all the way back. You know, this wasn't just a switch that he, you know, he remembers now at the end of the last movie and boom, he's back to who he was there. It's still foggy. I love that. That's still an element in this movie. Cause I think it's effective. I was, Oh, go ahead, Matt. No, yo, you, you go first. I was going to say that. I feel like the film really, cause, cause you were saying, how can I say this the right way with what I'm trying to say? Um, I, IMDb, for example, puts it this way, the synopsis, that Jason Bourne is forced, uh, when framed by a CA operative gone away, he is forced to re- resume his former life as a trained assassin to survive, which I think is a good good analysis of it, that he he's not resuming his life as an assassin in reaction to Marie. He's resuming his life as an assassin to survive Marie's death and his relationship with Marie motivates him to do it differently which i think is so intriguing and and looking back at the first film the first film starts with this guy in an ocean that a fishing boat finds and he suddenly has to figure out who he is and he finds out that like he's a spy with multiple identities and tons of money and passports in a a safety deposit box where this one starts where i to some extent have found out who i am not necessarily who i was but who i am now 
and that is so shaped by this wonderful individual in my life. And then you take that away. And it, again, you're left with this great intrigue for how it's going to move forward. And it's it, these these movies really just know how to start out and get you invested in the right way. Yeah, they certainly hook you, um, you know, from the start. And Rob, you mentioned this. I, I don't think we're going to throw too much criticism at this movie, but I do have one criticism and I, I want to get it out of the way because I think it's, you know, it doesn't take away from too much of the movie, but uh, this is the start where the action gets a little too shaky cam, especially his fight um, in the apartment with the guy he has zip tied. That is, I don't think that is as well shot as fights in the first movie. And it's really where that shaky cam starts to get to be a little bit too much for me. And if this movie backtracks in any way from the first one, because I think the story, although I love the first one, I think the story is much stronger. And I think supporting characters are much stronger in this one uh, than the first one. And that's saying something because I, I did like the first one a lot. I do think some of the way that the action is shot in this is a step down from the last one. That's that's pretty much my main criticism with this movie because I do not have a lot. I'm in uh, total agreement there. The, one of the few notes that I wrote down, and maybe you were asking this was Rob, so I apologize if I'm jumping in, but one of the few criticisms I wrote was, or few notes was the camera cuts too much, even in like simple scenes, like someone entering an office. It's like, I do not need a shaky cam of the doorknob for half a second like it so there i mean the i will say you remind me the one thing i remember about this is that he fights with a magazine i didn't remember any of the fight scenario or how the fight happens or any of that just that he had a fight with a rolled up magazine and i was disappointed to see how little of it i actually saw and i i, I think it's because we get a new director paul greengrass who say what you will about him he just doesn't have the experience that i think um I'm forgetting his name now, who directed the first one. Um, oh, my gosh. It's going to drive me nuts. Uh, whatever his name is. It will come to me in like five minutes. Um, he, he just doesn't have like the same. It's Doug Lindman. Yes, thank you. Yes. And he, he just doesn't have the same experience. And I also just think the editing, while the shakiness isn't too much, it's the editing that takes away from the clarity, which is just something I saw throughout this film. But, but I think that the sound design picks up in place of the, poor filming so it's a weird trade-off but I, I agree with you. that's like the one criticism that i have this i another one is that i feel like this doesn't have the same magic as the others i don't and maybe that's just the editing i don't know uh outside of that i love you it you know getting to that kitchen fight um where he's got the road of magazine there is some really cool krav maga in that kitchen scene and i love how brutal it was showing these two guys with high level training and they're just getting savage and up close and they're having to use you know, they're, they're fighting dirty at a high level. And it's like, you know, it's, it's like black belts of, of fighting dirty, you know, of fish hooks and eye gouges and like all of that kind of stuff. I, I thought that was really cool. The magazine bit almost felt like something they were trying to be just too clever for their own good, because it's, it's not effective than your own knuckles. Like you're not causing damage by hitting someone with the rolled up magazine. Even if you hit them with the spine of it, as hard as you want to hit, it's not hitting harder than your knuckles or any of the bones in your hand, your elbows, any of that kind of stuff. Had it been used as a tool to kind of envelop or catch the knife or used in some way as a defensive tool against the knife, I would have liked that a lot. Um, 
but I will say that when he takes it and he, and he puts it in the toaster and uses that as the way he, he kind of makes the fuse to blow the place up. That is, that is exactly what I want in a spy thriller. That is like, write it down that that's the benchmark for cool spy thriller kind of stuff. That's the kind of stuff that I, that I come to these sorts of movies hoping for and it delivered in spades for me. Yeah. I think, you know, one of the things that makes Jason Bourne so uh, appealing or so interesting, whatever word you want to use is the cleverness, you know, and again, you see in, in this movie as well as he's getting some things back, but I do agree too, Rob, you said this earlier, how he's not just full blown like Jason Bourne. He still doesn't remember everything. And I like how we're still going on that journey with him, but he is very clever. He's very smart. I like how he's able to avoid, you know, for the most part, capture how he does it. Um, Understanding what's going on in the room. I think, uh, you know, how he tracks down, um, his tracker in um, a character that I'm going to bring up now, uh, Pamela Landy, how he finds out where she's going to be, what room she would be in. Like everything that he does is just very interesting. But, you know, one area where this movie, I think, shines above the Bourne identity, and I mentioned this in our review of that movie, I didn't find necessarily like Treadstone and the CIA people, whatever government branch they're using, to be all that interesting. I think when Pamela Landy hits the scene, her character, I love. Um, I, and I, I knew I loved her from like the Bourne Ultimatum, but she, I, again, to me, maybe you guys are going to feel completely different. I thought she was awesome in this movie. And again, like these characters that are chasing him, I thought were way more interesting than the first set that we got. Uh, Harrison, I'll let you go first on that. Oh, yeah, totally agree. Like, and and everything going on within the CIA that it's not just like, oh, we have a rogue agent, get him back. You, you know, the double crossing, the the gray morality of the whole thing. It It's just, and that gets even further in the ultimatum. So I'm trying to like curb my thoughts on it a little bit. But I, but especially Pamela Landy, just a great, I'm not going to say antagonist, but a fantastic foil to Jason Bourne that, that really kind of elevates this uh, in a way that just you can't not be invested in. You know, I think she comes up with this scheme early on for why she thinks Jason is doing what he's doing and kind of tying in characters uh, from the first film. And it's compelling and it's plausible and it's believable. And throughout this movie, there's there's a lot of things that are happening. But one of the things that really, really stood out to me about this this is the rare sequel that is a true continuation of the original without having to rewrite the rules or introduce a new element that doesn't make sense in terms of the original. Matt, think about how many times and, and Harrison, we've, you know, we've done enough shows together between the three of us where there's been films in a series that they have to introduce. And, and Transformers is probably the worst about this that we just finished up where they have to introduce something. I was yeah, about like to say the worst example where <laughs> a sequel introduces an element that just seems like it's there to form the basis of the plot of that film and doesn't make any sense at all mm-hmm. in relation to what happened before. 
it completely rewrites the rules or retcons everything that happened before or makes no sense in the continuity of what happened before. Because if you're, if you're adding this and why was it never there prior, you know, like all of those things happen or, or it gets into something like, and, and I make this reference a lot, but just thinking about like the mummy too, where, you know, all of a sudden Brendan Fraser's character takes the leather bracelet off and he's got this tattoo in the second film that was never mentioned in the first. And it's just this magic MacGuffin that gets introduced. Like, and clearly not visible in any part of the movie because you you would have seen it because the tattoo actually stays over his wrist guard. So at some point you would have seen that tattoo in the first one. And, and I so love do the I too. Returns, I love way, that whole but series. That is, it's a, um, <laughs> but it's it's things like that that it's like okay, come on, like they, they just don't make sense in light. But at no point is there a new element introduced in this movie that I feel violates the story that was told by the original or or in some way makes that first one you know not valid in some way i guess I, I don't know did you guys get that same feeling because to me it just stood out clear as day that this is a sequel that just builds on what happened before as opposed to you know kind of having to take a step backwards to move forward not at all and it's something that i think works so good with the cia and the just the, and the spy genre in general is that like this is just a dark industry that like we don't know everything so obviously as the story progresses we find out more not that we retcon what happened before but the details that those black the redactions go away so to speak and it just works mm -hmm. really well for the entire nature of born yeah even with you know just like you said it's a natural progression because we see the different varying degrees of this program and that happens throughout the series but you know, even in this one, Pamela Landy's got an operation going and she needs to get different clearance to find out what's going on with Jason Bourne. Like that's another layer and she has to go deeper in order to figure out what this this agency that she's been working for, you know, what they're doing in, in level five and things like that, uh, which I think is really good. But with this movie and I, the way I remember the third one, it's you know, could be the same thing, but you could literally just watch these movies back to back. And if it just like said like two years later, like after the first one ended, it's like just one long continuous movie. It's, it's almost like one and two you could put together as a Snyder cut. And it's just a four hour <laughs> movie. Cause the story, the, like the story just naturally progresses from the first one to the second one. And and then even further into the third, like like I said, I watched the third the same day, and like that one started, and I was like, oh, like this isn't like two years later, like it's just like literally where the last one ended, and it, mm -hmm. it it's so great that they're able to tell a story this well, which as we get into the others outside of this trilogy, kind of falls apart, but it's I it's refreshing, I guess you could say that that like these stories that we we hold up you know or these trilogies or these films you hold up we come back to them and they are just they're just it's just quality storytelling just things principles that you can apply to storytelling now and it still works the same and and it's exciting to see that that I, that like i wasn't viewing them through rose tinted glasses if you get and a I'm lot saying. of this action happens more or less in in real time or or pretty close to it i mean once the action starts going this movie barely slows down to take a breath. I mean, it's it's not like it's okay overnight and now the next thing happens. I mean, it's there are some things that take overnight to happen, but it just feels like he's awake for like 48 straight hours while all of this is going on and um 
And I, th- mm-hmm. and I think that that continues to really build the tension. And, you know, it, it reminds me of another film uh, that's just pretty much nonstop from the time it gets going. A little film called Running Scared, which quick shameless plug is available mm. as a review on this very network. Wherever you downloaded this podcast, just go down like three episodes. You'll find an episode of Running Scared. Go check it out. It's pretty good. It was a very good episode. <laughs> I will plug that as well. Um, <laughs> so. Um, one of the other things too, that again, I'm talking about these, these secondary characters and, you know, he's only in this movie, but, um, the Ward Abbott character, um, played by Brian Cox, who, you know, we find out is really like deep in the rabbit hole. Um, again, just those characters are just insanely more interesting and how, like, you know, how deep this goes and how there's all these twists and turns. I just, it was really cool to go back and just watch this movie. And none of these guys though, like this, this new group, that's a a thwart to Jason Bourne. None of them feel over the top. They all feel like very real characters. Like this is like that guy is a scumbag in his own organization. Like he does deals on the side. He'll do anything he can to protect his interest. And when he's caught to me, it wasn't because sometimes this has happened in these movies and I'm like, it's so cliche, but like his decision to end his life, you know, rather than like probably the shit storm that he was going to be in being exposed was like, totally believable like i felt like that was in his character that he would do that okay i'm so glad you mentioned that because i could not remember if that was in this movie or the ultimatum and i didn't want to mention it if it was part of the third (laughs) well i i think probably i maybe i'm wrong though i was questioning that too and i think it's because the two the character in the third one that i think you're referring to these two guys look almost identical like I feel like they look identical. Oh, yeah. they, I, I feel like so they I got thought, a doppelganger. Yeah. Like I thought I thought he made it to the third one until I was like, wait a minute, no, that's that's not him. But I remember the guy in the third looking eerily similar yeah. to to it's hard for me to hear Brian but, Cox on screen without immediately hearing lines from Super Troopers. I'm just gonna be honest. Right. <laughs> but but Brian Cox's character, Ward, he he really is every time he's on screen, I just hate him. Like the way he played mm-hmm. is just so good that you just hate this guy. But at the same time, his decision makes a lot of sense. I I can't remember if it was in this movie or in the first one. He says, I've given my whole life in two ma- marriages to this agency or something like that. Like, I don't care who you are. Working in the CIA would just be tough. Like, you really make a lot of mm-hmm. sacrifices. And sure, this guy made a lot of bad deals and he's kind of evil and selfish and conniving. But like, he did give a lot. For I mean, we 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 can sit here and argue if it was for the benefit of the country or not. But in his eyes, I would say for the benefit of the country. And so that decision in that moment makes so much sense to me that like he has given so much, and it's not worth dealing with everything that's going to come. Uh, which is mm-hmm. it, it just makes for like a compelling villain, you could say, because of the situation that they're in. That it's not just like bad for the sake of bad that it's like it's it's evil existing in the world in a very real way and also in a very terrifying way like the whole time i was watching the movie i was just like is this real which i don't know we could 
giving me conspiracy <laughs> theories constantly. But like it, it's on a side note, it's fascinating to me that in the U.S. you can make movies about the CIA doing pretty much anything, kind of at your own will, like. That doesn't that people think the CIA is doing. Yeah, yeah. like it's kind of <laughs> crazy to me that we can do this about our own secret service agencies. That aside, it is a villain that is is terrifying for different reasons than say Thanos is because like this is evil that exists in the world and it's scary. Like beyond the film, it, it like kind of gets under your skin and gets into your head because you start everybody's heard a conspiracy theory or two, so then you start thinking through him and it, and it, like it's almost like you put that onto this character and it, what's interesting about him is you know we as you know, so the three of us are american citizens i know that there is an international audience that uh, listens to matt goes to the movies which hi how are you please write the show <laughs> tell us where you're from um but to know that you know for people who haven't really looked into what exactly some of these things are particularly like cold war era cia stuff even modern you know that when the when the shift really moved towards mm-hmm. anti-terrorism these guys look at the morality of what's right and wrong and they they willingly live in the gray they don't care if it's right or wrong if it is in the best interest of the safety of the nation they do what they have to do to keep the nation safe because the the morality check is our enemies don't have that same calculus they're doing our enemies really don't care Mm -hmm. about morality do you think north korea or russia or the Taliban, or any of these organizations that want to kill every American citizen, do they do any of that morality check when they're deciding on what they're doing? Absolutely not. So these guys really exist. These guys are really out there making these decisions on the behalf of us. And to know that this is happening, it makes it so much more interesting of a villain because in his mind, all of these quote-unquote terrible things that he's done have been for the greater good and that greater good we're all a little complicit in almost and that's what i think makes some of these kinds of films and these kinds of villains that much more compelling and now obviously he makes some other decisions for his own selfish interests but you know to to think about it in those terms really makes this this antagonist i'll call him just an antagonist for for the moment so much more compelling and so much more interesting and thinking about Jason being complicit in all of these things, just going along with it. And obviously we see him at the, in the first movie, making a different decision um, for a variety of different reasons. Um, It's a very interesting thought experiment. Yeah. I, you know, even when he ends up um, killing that agent Danny, because he goes to show him like, Hey, a, a guy like Bourne would know that you don't need to do this to shut off the power in the building. Like this is this seems like a setup. Maybe Bourne wasn't here. It's just like that guy trusted Ward to come show him this, and just without hesitation. And Ward even says it. He's like, eh, he was collateral no damage. No remorse, right? Like he. Yeah, like he and he, he had a tool yeah, in his pocket like, that he was ready and, to do that with. I mean, that's like, you know, I make the joke that uh, Sam Jackson's character in Avengers wakes up. OK, I've got the wallet. I've got the phone. I've got the eye patch. OK, I've got the the 90s beeper that'll connect to Captain Marvel. Should I ever need it today? You know, like the same way that you and I do phone wallet keys like he's got that tool in right. his pocket if he should ever need to take somebody out 
even if it's an ally. Yeah. And like how you said, like that shade of gray, you know, you can tell. I can't remember if he says this exact line like he didn't want to kill him, but it's just. All right, I needed to and to protect myself, to protect maybe secrets. Um, yeah, he just yeah, he he has to die like it is what it is like. It doesn't suck. It doesn't make me feel good. It doesn't make me feel bad. It's just like he's almost just numb to it. You know, Harrison, you said, like, I've given up two marriages and, you know, it's like he's just numb to it. This is what he does. Like, he has no right or wrong on killing. It's just, okay. well, if I have to kill him, I have to kill him. He finishes it. Doesn't doesn't he call him unlucky? Yeah, I think he does call him. Yeah, just he's like he was unlucky. Like, no, it's unlucky that I dropped my phone and the sh- the screen <laughs> yeah, he, cracked. He, he, he takes like... out this poor guy that you know. We we get the impression maybe he's mixed up in the wrong end of this more so than the right end of it, but we still don't think he's a bad guy necessarily as an audience. So he takes him out and and he just goes back to his desk planner and just checks off like, well, kept the secret safe. NBD. Right. Yeah. It's crazy. It's it's um. I forgot what I was going to say. Give me like two seconds. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, it, it's it's interesting to me that like I love that it lingered on him after he did it. Like it was, you know, like, you know how like has anybody ever. Here's an example that people probably understand. Has anybody ever like been caught in something, even not something necessarily bad? Like you're just like caught in a situation and maybe like the embarrassment, you like react and tell a lie. And then you're like, well, that was a dumb thing to lie about. Like, I don't know. I'm like trying to think of of an example, but I can't. Nothing comes to mind right now. But I'm sure people know what I mean. They're like, there's almost. And so it kind of feels like that was his reaction. Like, oh, my gosh, like I just got to keep the secret safe. Like I got to tell a lie to protect the lie type of thing, which I think is a better way of saying it. And then after the moment he like thinks about it and and it has to weigh on him and he's not an agent he's not out there taking lives like he's pushing a pencil so to speak and and i like that it lingers on the weight of the decision he makes and it's i don't know what it makes me feel towards character but it's interesting i think it's a good point um you know we're talking about harrison you brought up the point of it feels very real and like you know it's surprising that we can you know that they make movies about this kind of stuff but you know, I love too the chaos when they're in one of, you know, whatever room you want to call when they're in a room and they're just trying to like track born where he is. They're watching CCTV footage and stuff like that. I just I love that throughout these movies, just the chaos of like them trying to find him. And there's nine different people talking into mics, like talking to different agencies and different people on the ground, like okay, we need, you know, we need backup to this place. And, you know, it's just funny because you talk about something on your phone for God's sakes. And then the next thing you know, all of a sudden there's ads (laughs) everywhere. Like, you know, like if any of our phones are near us right now, like we'll get an ad for the born ultimatum. Uh Like, don't get me started. (laughs) My wife's been watching the bachelorette. I haven't gone near it, but just her talking to me about it, I get ads for it uh, constantly. So, yeah. But, but on that note, I love when we get in constantly in this trilogy, we get the line or a text or however it's delivered. You know, meet me at this place, come alone. I don't know why I always says come alone. They never <laughs> oh, do. Oh, well, but he says anyway. <laughs> yeah. I love how he says it, though. Um, they might want to start like doing it opposite. 
meet me here and bring 75 bring people. everyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we should probably, I should probably go alone then. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. But, but when that happens and like, as it builds up to that scene, I get so excited to see how Bourne's going to outsmart them and cause that chaos that you just talked about, Matt. It excites me to see how Bourne is going to use the chaos for his, uh, his, his advantage. I don't know. It's just so exciting. Like, especially in the third film, which is like the scene I remember. He's, he's calculated. Yes. The scene I remember most about Bourne in general is from the third film where he does this so exceptionally well, but it's just, it's exciting. It's like one of those things, you know, similar, similar idea where like in a, I don't know, I'm trying to come up with a good example in a James Bond movie. You get excited when the Aston Martin shows up, when the come alone text shows up, I get excited in Jason Bourne because of what it means that the character is going to do later. And it's just, it's, it's fun character making. And what I love I, I about say his, when he sets things up, it doesn't rely on 17 things all having to happen specifically a certain way. Some of which are humans to behave a very specific way. Like we see this in some movies where this big elaborate plot happens. And the only way it works is if every single person and every single piece of that puzzle moves along the same way. And it, it starts to get a little implausible. Um, and that doesn't happen here. It's simple. It's effective you know, it, it actually really works. Uh, somebody we haven't mentioned at all yet, uh, Julia Stiles. She was really a smaller role in the first film, plays a bigger role here. And I got to say, she absolutely crushes her time on screen. I mean, absolutely crushes it. And it made me kind of remember like, man, in the late nineties, like early aughts, like I thought she was going to be one of the next big things. And it's not that she's had, no career, but why is she not getting more high profile work? Like explain to me why we don't see her on movie posters today. She's like, I don't get it. Yeah. Uh, that was going to be, um, actually one of the next things that I brought up was her character, uh, character, Nikki Parsons. And, you know, Harrison, you were talking about the chaos that he creates, you know, he says there was a girl in Paris, you know, um, sent her, I'll talk to her like I'll turn myself in. And again, just like the cast when they're like, OK, get her off the like, get her off the tram. And I thought that he was, you know, it's one of the moments where whether or not he was actually maybe losing control a little bit or if he was just doing it because he knew he'd be able like that's the way he was going to get information out of her. He's much more intense than some of the other times he's talking, trying to extract information from characters like he's got a gun on her. Like when he's walking here, he's like, if you don't tell me the truth, I swear to God, I'm going to kill you. Like he doesn't say that it like in these movies, like he doesn't threaten to kill people. Um, and I found that interesting. I will say that from what I remember from Jason Bourne, her, her presence in that movie, which is the fourth one in the Jason Bourne stuff, it, it conf this movie made me very confused as to what her purpose was because of some of the dialogue between her and Jason. But that's for that episode. But in this movie, yeah, she was really good. And, you know, that scene where, you know, he finally like leaves her in whatever that was, like the bathroom or the janitor closet wherever they were where he's interrogating her um you know i thought she was really believable i thought her performance was really good i was a little disappointed that it was just like okay she's completely done now and the last thing we get is like 
she's back at the hotel. Like they found her. She's fine. Like we didn't get any more of her. Yeah. There, I mean, there's a lot of things I have to say about this. First, I love that constantly Bourne's plan is him adjusting to other people adjusting to him, which is awesome. Mm. But uh, yeah, Julia Stiles. I like the second she showed up, my wife in the first one, my wife was in the room. I was like, Hey, look, it's the girl from uh, 10 things I hate about you. <laughs> that made, like, totally different movie. And so like, that's what I was going off of, which is a great movie, by the way. Um, but yeah, then she just really delivered in this. And then in this one, like she just really brought it and even more so in the third. And, and I was like, what I had the same thought as you Rob. Why is she not in more movies? And it, it makes me kind of sad that she's just here and then she's gone and then she's here and then she's gone. It, it like, I, I guess that's another thing about this one that I will say that, that is a negative of me is that characters seem to just kind of be moved around like chess pieces. And if you're not the queen, you're kind of forgotten about. So if you're not Jason Bourne and you're not Joan a- or uh, Pamela Landy or Abbott, you're kind of just like occasionally moved in an adjustment to other people. If that makes sense, like you're moved so that the queen can move. Um, Anyway, if that explanation makes any sense. Yeah, no, I I think there's, uh, you know, I like I said, I was disappointed that we didn't get her again. Um, I I do like because he does this, you know, at the end of the movie, too. And these things where he's like just so far ahead of them, so to speak. I just love that part where he's like, well, it shouldn't be that difficult. She's standing right next to you. And just like the sheer, like almost panic but also like, God damn, he's so good. Look on everybody's faces. Like, I love it. He he's somewhere where he can see. And us. they kind of like, they're not even surprised. Have, have by either that. of you like, oh, well, yeah, he is Jason Bourne. OK, I suppose that makes sense. That checks. Yeah. <laughs> and they really do, Harrison. I, I know you want to jump in. And even with Abbott, where he's, you know, not only is he trying to protect a secret, but they still think you know, to some degree, you know, they know Bourne is dangerous. And like when he's telling Pamela, like, you know, and he's coming after you. So for self-preservation, you might want to think about that. Like this is, even though he's got amnesia, like there's people in this agency that know, like, this is a dangerous guy. Like they pumped all this money, all this training, like, He's dangerous, and it it is really cool to see people and how they talk about him. Um, and then there's the memes <laughs> like Jesus Christ, that's Jason Bourne, which are hysterical. But like, right, like memes aside, they do talk about him like this is like it an alpha male, so to speak. Yeah, watching this this one in particular, the Bourne supremacy, and also Bourne all made him. But I really thought like these were huge inspirations for the Daniel Craig era of Bond. And I'm so glad that they did that because it, it made Bond so much better. But also, like, the way the way they talk about Jason Bourne is what inspired the idea of John Wick. I know it. Like, e- even though the characters are very different, but also very similar, just the way they talk about Bourne is what inspired John Wick. I just know it. Which is fun to think about. But I, I, I was going to ask, if either of you seen The Gray Man on Netflix? Not yet, but I want to. I have not watched. Okay, it yet. pretty is a. It's like a fun popcorn action movie. Really fun. That the characters in it are fun. So there's this one scene. It's in the trailer, um, when uh, so Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans are like the two opposing forces in the film, and they're they're in a fight scene, and 
Ryan Gosling character drops a grenade to like escape from being captured by Chris Evans. And Chris Evans looks at him for like a half second and is like, ballsy. And the way he says it is like memed in my head forever. So every time Jason Bourne says like, they're right next to you, I hear Chris Evans saying, ballsy. <laughs> it just, just makes it so much better. Oh, jeez, That's pretty good. Um, oh, God. Now, see, now I'm thinking about the Ryan Gosling meme where somebody was trying to feed him stuff. Have you guys no. ever seen that one? No, I do. You, you've never seen that? I'm going to Google. Okay. All right. So, <laughs> listeners, just a quick sidetrack here. Yeah, guys, you have to look that up. Um, it It is a video of somebody who literally, like, puts a spoon up to the TV screen. And Ryan Gosling acts like it's Ryan Gosling, like, pulling away from it every single time. And I... Oh, wait, I might have seen that. Up. I think I have. So now that's so that's now all I'm <laughs> that's all I'm thinking of. But <laughs> um, so damn memes. They the always internet win. is undefeated. <laughs> it really is. Um, but I, I, I want to get your opinion on this because I know that this scene and I'm kind of like 70 30 on this. Um. <laughs> So listeners, this is all audio, but we're video and Harrison is losing his mind right now (laughs) watching this in the background. Um, But one thing that, again, I'm like 70, 30 on this is born finding the daughter of his first job when he was in Berlin, that subplot of like, this was before Jason Bourne was on the books, so to speak. Um, I get that it's more for him, but there's still part of me that felt like that scene just wasn't completely necessary. It, it felt very anticlimactic to me, um, especially considering like what comes after it with that ending of like he's still wa- like he's watching and he's right there finding out what's going on. So I, I don't hate it, but there was just it didn't land as well as I thought. It, it does slow the movie down a little bit because like we said earlier, this thing is at a breakneck pace throughout most of it in a good way. Um, it does kind of slow some things down. I think what was interesting to me, and I and I think it's probably a scene on future watches I'd probably just skip over because it's like, eh, you know, I can I don't really need it. But, you know, on a first time watching it, or if it's been a while since you've seen it, I think what it really speaks to is again, dealing with this, this concept of amnesia, the person that Jason Bourne is becoming compared to the person he used to be, I think that's important for the the man he decides that he's going to be now. He can't do anything about the man he used to be, but the man he's going to be now and for the future, I think that's an important scene to help cement that idea for him. Could it have been tidied up a little bit in the editing room? Yeah, could you have cut out maybe 10% of the dialogue and made it clip along a little faster? Sure. My thoughts about it is that it's a great scene, especially what Rob said, that that it's forming Jason Bourne moving forward. It kind of drives home the point that he makes later to Abbott that when Abbott's telling him to kill him, and he says, um, she wouldn't want me to, right? This is a new Jason Bourne. Awesome scene for that reason. And I, and I, I had no memory of it. So when it happened, I was like, wow. 
I did not expect this to be in the movie, and I was impressed with it, and I really liked it. It does slow the movie down a lot, and so I think that that from that standpoint, from a pacing standpoint, but also just from a logistical standpoint, maybe I don't know. It's weird in which in, in the point in the movie that it takes place. Like, isn't his arm like? Wasn't he shot? Or is uh, that no, later? it's prior to that. By the way, um, there is no safe place to get shot and just kind of walk away. Like any place you get shot where the bullet enters your body and passes through, like you're going to bleed out. Like <laughs> it's, it, it frustrates me sometimes the way movies deal with guns and gunshots and things like that. Just like, cause so many people don't have any reference points to like what firearms do and don't do. So they, they have only movies. <laughs> it's like, like there's, if you get shot through the shoulder, you need to seek medical attention immediately. Like that's, like you're going to bleed out. You're going to go into shock. You're going to have a bad time. Like there's, there's no, just, I'm going to continue on driving through this action scene and go do a bunch of other stuff. Like you got to go get that address like right away. Yeah. But back, <laughs> but, but I was saying, I agree with you, Matt, where it's like kind of 70, 30, where I really, really like it. But there's a part of me that's like, there's something about this that needs, needs changing on a total separate note about being shot in the arm. What a great way to, make the rest of the movie like even more intense, but I'm sure we're going to talk about that eventually. I just didn't want to forget that. I want to say that. Yeah. You know, I, you guys both make really good points. And like I said, it's not something that like completely derails the movie or like I can't stand. Um, and I, I think they both give good performances during it. Like I think the daughter's like actually very believable. And I do appreciate that there wasn't like the cliche of like her trying to go after him or like, him giving her the gun to be like make you know like you can kill me if you want to kill me um I, I just like that i do like the fact that it was just like him telling her and then he just walks away and that's it because like you know what would she do yeah like you know like a real human being in that in that moment would be like well i'm not going to attack this guy he has a gun yeah like it sucks and I'm probably steaming with rage that he told me this or I'm super sad or whatever the case may be. But like, I don't feel like, you know, like she would go after him and sometimes movies have the tendency to, she's, to do she's that. She's got a lot of I, weird I, emotions too at that point because she's getting somewhat validation knowing that her mother did not commit murder, murder, suicide. So she's balancing that with meeting the person who actually was responsible for it. So she's, she's got validation, but also anger and it's, it's a complex scene. Yeah. Which I, I really like that it, how it's done, especially that w- what Bourne says to her that he says, um, what does he say? Something along the lines of it's hard when something you care about is taken from you. And he says, I would yeah. want to know, which I just mm-hmm. I think motive like like that gives you insight into Bourne's mindset that that his psyche that so much of what he's doing now is that he wants to know why did you come after me and Marie when I warned you? I would want to know and. And it's it makes for a good scene. And I I was expecting because I had no memory of this film. I was expecting that scene to have more importance than just like a moment for Born. If that makes sense, like I expected her to come mm-hmm. after him or or contact some people in some way and like be some piece of it later. And the fact that it wasn't, I really liked. All right, so maybe I'm. Eighty twenty now um, <laughs> after, after all this talk. But Harrison, you had, you know, mentioned about, you know, kind of the, the timing of it and, and with the ending. But I'll let you give your thoughts on that. What is, you know, specifically do you want to say about 
kind of the way this movie caps off or, you know, what your thought was um, for that? Yeah, I was just going to say that, like, from the moment Bourne gets shot in the arm, there is so much that still has to happen. And it and it makes for a really interesting end of the movie, if you will, that, like, a lot of it doesn't make sense, you know, because, like Rob said, gun wounds. But it, and it makes for a way to spice up your chasing, to do something different to, with a character, to to add another level of fear and anxiety to this chasing that's like, is Jason Bourne going to survive the vehicle-to-vehicle crash, or is he going to die from this wound bleeding out type of thing? Like, it just adds another int- a layer of intensity to it that, that a, a final act like that might need, and it's just done exceptionally well i which i like like it it it's done in a way that it can help me suspend my disbelief knowing that gun wounds don't work like that if you want to say yeah rob anything that you want to add to that part some shaky cam at the beginning and and really where some of the this film does suffer in some areas um you know i found myself not being overly invested in kind of the final major action set piece because it was, I thought kind of hard to follow what was really happening. I felt like the camera moved too frenetically. I felt like it was in too close at times. I felt like there, I couldn't really tell where anybody was in space. I, it, it was kind of hard to really get invested mm-hmm. when I, when I couldn't feel like I confidently knew what was happening and and I don't know what they make taxis out of in Russia. It's it's got the chassis has to be like a vibranium adamantium <laughs> alloy of some kind because that thing nigh indestructible. It just uh, it just bounces off of stuff and keeps going. Barely has any damage to the fender on on things that would it, at a bare minimum. I mean, maybe they they probably don't have the same kind of safety standards. So there's no reason to think the airbags would have gone off because they probably don't exist in that thing. But like. <laughs> You know, like a little like I I know I complain about little stuff like that a lot, but, you know, a little bit of suspension of disbelief issues there. Like, okay, come on now. But um, yeah, that that ending, I really felt like it. I I wasn't as invested in it because of of some of those things, which I agree with. The the editing was annoying to me, like it was to the point where it was annoying. And and so I'll say that that it was like continually suspending and unsuspending my disbelief from how it was edited. But also back on the topic of memes, memes. If anybody wants to get into audio memes and like use audio snippets, just use Rob's I don't know what they make taxis out of in Russia because that would just be a fantastic <laughs> meme. Please someone do that. <laughs> oh man. Um I I don't think either of you have, but one thing cuz just kind of doing some research on this series and stuff like that. I do find it interesting that this movie, although it takes the name of the second book, the plot's completely different. Like they wrote this screenplay on their own. Like they actually didn't use, they only use the title from the second book to name this movie. I I did see that, which I thought was interesting. And where did it go? Um, Wait, I saw a detail. Oh, um, screenwriter Tony Gilroy read the book this time and claimed that he did a reimagination, not an adaptation of the novel. Wrote a screenplay using the key events and characters from the novel as a framework, though he replaced blah, 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 blah. Yeah, that's an important detail. But I thought that was interesting that, like, he didn't read the novel for the first movie, so now he decides to read the novel and then just throws it out the window. 
Yeah, I thought that was a little fascinating, but I mean, it worked. So I, I've never read the book, Rob. You haven't no, read these, have and- you? It's probably going to enter my list of things to get around to when I eventually get caught up on all the other things I'm so far behind on. I mean, I, I probably would like to check these out. Yeah, I think that I, I just thought that was kind of like an interesting fact that, yeah, he just kind of said like, all right, here's a little bit of framework, but I'm just I'm really going to do my own thing and and reimagine this, so to speak. So. Harrison, I'll I'll let you go first. Is there any other like major points about this movie that you feel you haven't been able to talk about? Um, yeah, I'll say this. It's interesting to me that trying to 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 sandwich this between the two other films, this definitely feels like a second film to me. If that makes sense, where a lot some parts of it feel like reactions, not the right word, but a reaction to the first. A reaction to the things that people liked, a reaction to the things people didn't like, and an adjustment and a and a um uh, what I can't I'm, the word is not coming to mind. But, but and so there's there's part of it where I think the writing does get better, but for some reason that I can't quite put my finger on, the story doesn't quite have the same magic as the first one, and nowhere near as much as the second one. And I thought that it was just going to be because of Marie missing, but then I watched the third, and that wasn't the case. So I. I I'm curious if either of you felt anything like that, where like it ended and I was like super stoked and I it was fun and there was parts of it that I was really really liked and I had a lot of praise for it, loved parts of it even, and of course like I mentioned I was really excited to go into the next one, but I just didn't feel the same magic that I had after I watched The Born Identity. Did either of you experience that? Rob, I'll let you go first on that. So Any thoughts keep on in that? Mind that uh, the first time I've seen this movie was last night when I watched it. That was the only time I've seen it. And I feel like, you know, and I've talked about this uh, on previous episodes as much as possible. I try particularly like when we're doing uh, Disney Plus shows and things like that. And, and when we did Halo, I, I almost always will watch something once just to watch it. And then the second time is kind of when I'll, I'll think about, you know, uh, if I'm going to write anything down is when I write it down and just kind of think a little more critically about what I'm seeing, because now I'm seeing it for the second time. I didn't really have the opportunity to do that. And I shut this off uh, last night. My wife and I said, like, by the way, I've, I've been mentioning that my kids have been watching a lot of my stuff with me lately. Not the, not this series. I have not included them on this series. I just want. I was going nope, to ask, not, not this series. And I know these are only rated PG 13, but that's still just a bit much. Um, that being said, um, I shut this off and immediately was like, why did I never watch this before? Like I thoroughly enjoyed the crap out of this and I'm kind of going like, what was I waiting for? Like of all the other stuff that I've spent time doing, like I far more enjoyed this last hour and 45 minutes or whatever the runtime was more so than a lot of the other garbage that i that i kind of waste my free time on so um i can only say that i had a great time i made i made you watch x-men origins again before you mentioned x-men origins but (laughs) since you brought it up yes (laughs) and i was gonna throw some shade at she hulk and say i i enjoyed it more than i I definitely enjoyed this more but i real quick I don't know that we're supposed to like She-Hulk. I don't think we're the target audience. So if we don't enjoy it, that's Fair. probably not going to offend anybody at Marvel. Quick, uh, quick plug. I had finally, it took me, Thursdays, what, the yeah. episodes come out on Thursday? Yes, it took me until, as we're talking about this, this morning I recorded my thoughts on episode three of She-Hulk because it took me that long to think about how I 
actually want to talk about that show and why I don't like it. And it's not for the reason that a lot of people are complaining about, because I think that's kind of stupid. Um, but it's a more fundamental problem with with Marvel right now, for certain. Things. I'm very excited for that episode. I went grocery shopping today, which your She-Hulk episodes that are shorter are like perfect for grocery shopping. <laughs> it's not long enough to listen to, not long enough time to like listen to a whole episode and like, but long enough that like listening to music might get a little bit boring. So it's like, this is a perfect. And so I went to the grocery store. And I was like, oh yeah, there was another she episode and I opened my podcast app and it wasn't there and I was really disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> Well, I apologize. <laughs> I will look forward to it. Um, but yeah, so I, I do want to say, though, too, with, you know, this, like I said, when this movie got done, I really wanted to watch the third one. And I think for me, minus a few hiccups, you know, yes, it does feel like a second movie, but a second movie that does what it's supposed to like. Think about, you know, we just mentioned the MCU. Think about the first Thor. It, I think for the most part, it made you want to see a second one. Did Thor 2 make you want to see a Thor 3? You're probably kind of nervous about that. Did Iron Man 2 really kind of make you think about wanting to see an Iron Man 3? Maybe because Robert Downey Jr. is so good and you're like, maybe they can bounce back. But like the sheer dip in quality, it was, I think, pretty big from like Iron Man one to Iron Man two Thor to Thor, the dark world, um, Jurassic world to Jurassic oh, man, world fall fallen right kingdom. Off. We, you know, we talked about those, um, the force awakens. So the I think this, it, in terms of, up, 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 Oh, there it is. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that this is, I think that's a good way to say it, Harrison. Like this very much feels like a second movie, but to me, it's a second movie that does what a lot of second movies have failed to do, which is make you want to watch the third one um, almost immediately. And, and you did. Yes. I, yeah. If I and, and like <laughs> and as much as I love Iron Man two and those type of second movies, it's a second movie that doesn't undo anything for the character and actually like continues the story beats of where they left off with his character with new interesting ideas that are very real to the character. So it, it is a successful second movie, but it but it still has a second movie feeling to me. Like here's the best way to say it. I will rewatch this movie again, but it will but there's so much of me that will feel like I need to watch the first one before it and the third one after it. Like, I'm not like, I'm not just going to pick up the born supremacy and watch it. If that makes sense. Like I would pick up the born identity and maybe the born ultimatum and just watch that. But the born supremacy, I got to sandwich it. Not that it's bad. Not that it can't be enjoyed on its own. It's just maybe just my personal. I mean, I do have a podcast called the basement binge. So maybe, but <laughs> It's just your natural instinct, but I do feel out of these three, though, I feel like the Born Ultimatum, and I I like all of these these three, so spoiler for the third one, maybe my rewatch I won't, but I do feel like the Born Ultimatum is the one that I could just watch repeatedly as a standalone. I do feel like I would like to watch one and two like back-to-back, -back, where I could pop in three and just be like, well, at least my initial thoughts right now are I just love this movie 
Yeah, I, I, I do too. That one other thought that I just had in my notes that I wanted to mention is that I love how everything about this series, but especially the tech that Bourne uses, isn't like James Bond tech, if that makes sense. Like it's like prepaid cell phones, like plastic earpieces that if you drop them, they're going to fall apart. Like it, it's just like very like pathetic tech that an like a magnificent man uses in a way that's intense. And I it, it like it like adds another level of excitement to everything. Yeah, happening. Some of the things in uh, James Bond, particularly the um, pre Daniel Craig era, like the scale doesn't really work. The miniaturization of some of those things doesn't work. Like, you know, there's no motor powerful enough that you can hide it in a belt buckle or your watch that turns into a grappling hook. That's going to hoist two grown adults, you know, to safety. Like that stuff just, it doesn't exist and doesn't work. Like the, there's no tensile strength cable. You can wind up into your watch. That'll pull you to safety like that. But everything born does is based on just his environment. And it's based on like, real world application of, of those things. Like there's, there's nothing that if, if Mythbusters was still on the air, which I love that. That's like one of my favorite shows of all time. Like, I don't, I don't, I can't remember if they did anything born related or not, but if you, if you sent Adam and Jamie to go test any of the stuff he did, it would all work because it, it's all very plausible that it could happen. One final thought that I have, and I, I thought this was a moment I wasn't necessarily expecting we get to the end of the movie and Bourne calls Landy. Uh, they have this exchange. She talks to him about the tape, you know, uh, and she tells him his real name is actually David Webb and gives him when his real birthday is. Um, and he tells her, you know, get some rest. You look tired. I, I loved that through two movies, we just assumed his name was Jason Bourne only to find out it's David Webb all along. Um, I, and I think that just is, it was such a cool detail. Yeah, I I really did like that. Like I said, I forgot that that's here in this movie and then it's established much more um, in the Bourne Ultimatum. But I, the only thing that like I could see maybe being a little bit confusing, um, like if you've never seen these movies and you go, so you watch the first one, you watch the second one, it would almost kind of be like, how the hell did he get there? Because he was in what Moscow? Oh yeah, like, yeah. At the end, yeah, yeah. I yeah. I thought I was like, did we just get a time jump? Like he went through like bullet wound to like half dead. Like the bags under his eyes were like grim reaper revel, and then he's just like totally okay. That was really good. Yeah, yeah. That was really good. Rob mentioned that where it's like. I think I, Rob, I think you mentioned this. So if it was you, Harrison, sorry, but how it looks like he has been up for 48 hours. Like they did a really good job of like making him look fatigued. Like who knows? Maybe they did make him shoot for 48 hours and he was that tired on set. I don't know, but like they did a really good job of like, he looked like he had gone through hell and was just like at certain points in this movie, especially towards the end, just physically exhausted. Yeah, which it, it, like we didn't talk about it enough, but Matt Damon really just brings the character of Jason Bourne to life in so many ways, from like the very physical, visceral part of the character to looking tired to giving a performance in a scene where he's admitting his his sins, so to speak, to this daughter. You know, Matt Damon, as the DVD cover says, Matt Damon is Jason Bourne. <laughs> yeah, he he really is. He. 
I, I can't stress enough how well he is in this role, but Rob, is there anything that you feel we didn't touch on that you had some notes on, like any major point about this movie that we didn't get to? You know, the only, again, there's not a lot of critiques here, but there were two small things that just kind of felt a little odd to me. Um, about three quarters of the way into the movie, he's he's walking around the hotel where all of the CIA staff is staying, and he's just walking in without a disguise. Like, I thought, okay, there's like, a million people that are staying at this hotel that know who you are. So like that seemed kind of weird to me, but, um, Mm -hmm. and then when they raid the hotel at at a later time, he escapes by just kind of going to the roof, um, which that, that would have been covered. Like there would have been teams on the roof. There would have been teams on the ground. There would have been teams everywhere. There was, there was no escaping to the roof there. So like there was a couple small things that I, that just jumped out to me that I went, "Eh, I'm calling BS on some of the, like, you know, the, the setup uh, of the, of the teams and things like that. But outside of that, I have so few complaints about this movie. I thoroughly enjoyed my time with it. And like I said earlier, I can't believe I waited this long to sit down and watch it. Yeah, I am like, and again, I mean, I've known you for about four years now. Um, so I, I know you're very busy between, you know, old work schedule, new work schedule, everything that your kids do. Um, but I was re- I'm really surprised to hear that this is the first time you've ever seen this movie. Um, Cause again, I mean, you watched X-Men origins, Wolverine, you watched Batman and Robin. You like, you watched all of these Daredevil, things. You watched the director's Dare- cut. Dare- yes. Daredevil, Batman the director's Robin, cut yeah. before we managed. One of my favorite here. Matt goes to the movies episode. Daredevil's the director. I watched cut. Matrix Resurrections <laughs> twice this year. Like, well, that was your fault. That was your choice. Yeah. Yeah. Daredevil, a blind man beating up a woman on a teeter totter. <laughs> we we watched that first. <laughs> oh man! So, <laughs> but um, what we'll do then, if you guys don't have any other major points that you feel that you needed to discuss. Uh, We're going to move to popcorn time and we'll review this movie. So I'm going to give my review first. I will let Rob go second and then Harrison, you'll cap off the review portion. But um, and like a brief recap of why you feel that the movie is. So originally I gave the Born Identity a four on our rating scale, and I am giving this one a four as well. I think that the story is better in this one. I think that the secondary characters are better in this one, but it really, it still loses one rating for me because of the fact that the editing and the direction is definitely for me a step down from the first movie. Um, I feel like it's distracting enough that this movie is still very good, uh, but those things were just kind of weird to see, especially given how well the first one is shot. So uh, that's going to be my overall reason for why I'm giving this one the same. Result. So I described the first one as the definition of what a four looks like. Um, this one to me was a more exciting movie. This to me um, kind of kept me drawn in throughout more of it. I, I felt like there were less parts of this that, that I was kind of waiting for the next thing to happen. Um, the action was, was really good. Um, the, the spy tech, you know, kind of the, um, the spy craft was, was a lot of fun and really good. The, the intrigue, the story, it, it had 
some some competing care you know some characters with competing interests but it, it didn't try to get too clever where there were too many twists and turns and there were too many you know backstabbing for the sake of backstabbing everything was grounded in reality and made sense and like i mentioned earlier sequels have a tendency to just not make any sense in the context of the film that came before it and i don't feel at any point this film did that so um I thoroughly enjoyed every moment that I was watching this the other night. And um, that's why I will give this a five buckets out of five. Wow. Wow. I was not expecting that. Okay. I am excited to hear what you think of um, the Born Ultimatum then. I am. Uh, I'm a huge fan of that one. I think it's my favorite one. I'll just say it. So I'm excited to review it. I'm excited to watch it a second time. <laughs> Oh, I need to write this one. I totally forgot. <laughs> and, and <laughs> oh, this is hard. Um, I'm going to say, I'm just going to give it four buckets as well, because it, it's hard to distinguish these movies from... No, that's the wrong way of saying it. It's hard to rate these movies differently from one another because they just repeat the goodness so well, if that makes sense. Like... I don't know. Like, I'm not going to have a chocolate chip cookie and then be like, well, this was three stars and then eat the same chocolate chip cookie and be like, well, this one was five. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, my mood might change, but but they just take what works and they continue it. And if you want to watch Jason Bourne, watch Jason Bourne and like have a great time. And this movie completely delivers on it. Obviously, there's some faults I have. It doesn't have quite the same magic, but I think that maybe that was also because I was sick and like absolutely miserable. And that always affects everything. Um but it it got me to be super excited about the third, and I loved every second of it. So, yeah. So, I'm just going to play with that analogy for a second. The first one is a chocolate chip cookie. The second one is a chocolate chip cookie as well, but it just came out of the oven. It's still warm. It's a little gooey, and you have a glass of milk. Uh, I thought you were going to stop at the milk because I was going to say, and then the ultimatum, you get a glass of milk. But now I don't know what to add. You get a second and cookie. It has walnuts in it. <laughs> is yeah, that a good thing? Absolutely. I have I've never had a cookie with one. I have, I have all of those things in my house right now. <laughs> I know, <laughs> I know exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> so it's yeah. like it's like that. Have yeah. you guys seen that meme where it like starts with the brain and then it like gets yes. bigger and bigger as they the do ideas that get with, better? Um, it's like that, yeah, but with they cookies. Do that with, uh, Vince McMahon too. <laughs> There's a version of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah replace those with cookies. Um, that's the new rating oh, scale. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That, right. <laughs> the McMahon cookies. How many? How... <laughs> what tier of the meme have we made it to? Right, exa exactly. Oh, man. That's pretty funny. Oh, boy. All right. Well, <laughs> that's going to do it for our review of the Born Supremacy. But before we get going, Harrison, um, Again, I know you're you're super busy right now with everything, but have you had a chance to think about anything that's coming to the basement binge, or is this just kind of occupying your time, like the free time that you actually have? Um, yeah, the second one, which I mean, no fault, no complaints about that. But there, there's, I haven't even finished editing the Transformers episodes, which just frustrates me, you know. And so I'm, I'm. Got so much happening in my life right now that there was just like a level of like, I'm doing something new that's really important to me. Let me just focus on this and make sure I do it really well. 
because I know I'm going to come back to the podcast so we can sit aside for a minute. So that is where it's currently at. Obviously, new episodes are coming, um, but I got to figure out how I'm going to do that. So it, it's it's a weird in between right now, which is also just frustrating me. I've realized that except for last year, every single September where the podcast has been around had struggles where we like released episodes and then really struggled to release more. So I guess it's just like the curse of the basement binge to just not be able to release episodes during September. Well, I know I look forward to when you're able to kind of get back on, uh, on track, so to speak, and, and release things on a more regular basis. But in the meantime, we love having you here. So thank you again for being a part of this. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. Else I probably wouldn't be (laughs) saying anything about movies and I'd be going insane. So like, you're like keeping the sanity within me. So thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And Rob, you recently, um, did a, a Rob's review for running scared. Oh yes. I heard something about that. (laughs) That was really good. Yeah, that was, that was a really good episode. I liked that a lot. Um, it inspired me to go and check out more Paul Walker movies. Um, and I had seen this before cause I just love doing Into these the things blue. to punish my brain and my psyche. <laughs> no, no. Um, I, I watched ah! Tammy and the T-Rex, which is what even is that? That name just sounds horrible. <laughs> oh, oh, Harrison. Oh, you have no idea. Don't. Yeah, I'm telling you right now, if you decide to watch this movie, do not be near any tall buildings. Do not like because you will want to throw yourself off Keep the top your toaster of out of the out um, of the area where your tub is like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it is it is Paul Walker's brain in a dinosaur's body. Are you serious? Exactly, yes. Oh, Oh my god! <laughs> is it, oh, isn't there like another okay. main actor in that yeah. movie? Like, am I am I imagining things, or is like, um, yeah, no, there is. is Denise um, Richards in that movie? Yes, Denise. I'm on IMDb. Denise Richards is Tammy. Yes. Yeah, she ends up she ends up being a camp stripper for his brain. For God's sakes, for the dinosaur's brain. Well. For Paul, it's it's the dinosaur's brain is Paul Walker. Like his character, his character, yes, his character is literally killed in the movie so that they can put his brain inside this dinosaur that this mad scientist wants to control. Who, who, for some reason has a prostitute has a prostitute as like his nurse's aide, but (laughs) interesting. It's not interesting actually. Yeah, it's terrible. it's an abomination <laughs> it's an affront it's before not. god it's it's, it's um all who were involved should hang their heads in shame and yeah so these you know these are the things that i do with my spare time is i <laughs> matt you have too much as spare I, time as i watch this nonsense but yeah but i appreciate it rob so um You've done a couple of those, so just in case listeners haven't heard those ones and they're listening to this, which episodes yeah, so would they go check those, out? Uh, it's a spinoff show within the Matt Goes to the Movies podcasting network, so you can just find those episodes listed with the other great shows here at Matt Goes to the Movies. Uh, recent episodes, so we did Running Scared, which is a, it's a it's a gem that you kind of need somebody to tell you about. Not a lot of people went to see it in theaters. 
And uh, if somebody doesn't recommend it to you, it's the kind of movie that you probably didn't even know existed. So uh, highly recommend that. Uh, prior to that, we did a review on The Rocketeer, which is a movie everybody should see. It's on Disney Plus. Go check that out. Uh, another kind of throwback that you might have forgotten about. We did uh, Gone in 60 Seconds before that, which uh, is just it's just a lot of fun. Anytime you you get a chance to check that out, just kind of turn your brain off for a little bit on that one and just have fun with it. Um, and some other movies that have really uh, added up over the years to be you know, very, very important in my life, my brother Eric's life. And then in between all that, I did uh, an episode with my oldest daughter for Minions, The Rise of Gru, uh, which was a lot of fun. And uh, Lillian and I are planning our next episode already. Very, very cool. Um, I will say that Minions episode has been extremely, extremely popular. Um a lot of people have uh, taken the time to download that. So probably be looking forward to the next one. So again, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you everybody so much for listening. And if you like this episode, subscribe to the show. There are every single link that you need in the show notes to get in touch with us. Also with the basement binge, which is a great podcast. Uh, Harrison has got some really, really great episodes there. Um, that'll be in the show notes. There are, uh, there's just so many, but, um, I, I would always recommend if you want to start off with one that just kind of shows you like the character of the person that you're listening to go listen to Wreck-It Ralph. Um, I still love that one to this day. I think it's fantastic. And I think it, if that matters to you, I think it gives you a really good idea of the guy that you're listening to. Uh, Cause he's an awesome dude. Um, and I think that matters. So well, thank you. Maybe it doesn't to you when you're listening to podcasts, you're welcome, buddy, but it is a fantastic episode. There's so many more of those. So be sure hit the show notes, email the shows, review us on pod chaser, and we will see you very soon at Matt goes to the movies. <laughs>